Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to GradCast, the official SOGS podcast, where you get to hear about the wonderful and varied research that goes on here at Western. And your co-hosts today are me, Susan Anthony, and Julia Palazzi. Hey, do do do, Julia. This is dun, your dun, dun, dun. this is your first interview. How are you feeling? It is. I'm good. I'm pumped to have Arwen on the show. Yeah, we have Very Arwen. Excited. Arwen Johns here from the anthropology department, and we we're here to hear to hear uh, more about your research. And uh, so we hear. Um, we see from your abstract that you sent us is you're very drawn to Peru. Yeah, now, for sure. What um, tell us a bit about what brought you to Peru? Maybe um, the first time. I feel like I was one of the exceptions where in high school I knew what I wanted to do. Like it's in my high school yearbook, gonna do Peruvian archaeology. I just that's awesome. Even before I'd gone, I knew. And I was lucky enough in 2014 to be able to take part in the alternative spring break program at Western. Okay. And I went on the Peru trip. So that was sort of the first time, first exposure. Nothing to do with archaeology, but still that kind of got my feet into it a bit. So what in high school, though, fixed you on Peruvian archaeology? Um, Very I'm, specific. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, a pretty True. specific goal. Um. Honestly, I think I was just really lucky. I had a really excellent history teacher who kind of, we didn't get a whole lot of content on anything past Mexico, I would say. So it was sort of something I was just curious because of the lack of discussion. So it was something that on my own for different essay topics that I would specifically choose that to sort of be able to learn about it more on my own, I guess. And that's sort of what got me into Interesting. it. Interesting. So can you define for us, I mean, I'm an ecologist, so can you define what archaeology is or zoo archaeology actually because that's what you do right so i guess archaeology in general is the study of humans in the past and that mostly Mm. relies on stuff that we're finding in the ground so with all what you would think about like with the excavations and fossils and whatnot not fossils oh yeah big misconception okay Um, elaborate no dinosaurs for me oh my gosh yep okay no human fossils at all um we do that would be biological anthropologists. Oh, so they gotcha. do a lot of stuff related to archaeology, actually. So okay. they are similar in a lot of ways with the digging and, you know, that sort of <laughs> stuff. Um, but with the archaeology, we're wanting to talk about what we consider to be, I guess, modern humans, like even though they are in the past. So for me, um, those populations we're looking at not hundreds of thousands of years ago necessarily. Some archaeologists do. But for me, I'm looking just a couple thousand years yeah, you said 100 BC to 700 AD. Yes, correct. Can, can you paint us a picture of what life would be like at that time? Yeah, so we're lucky with the project that I'm on. I work on the north coast of Peru, I should say. Um, okay. So we're in a coastal desert. It's really cool. Mm. Um, with that, so they have really giant architectural stuff going on by this point. Like we have really giant mound structures, like complexes that go on for kilometers so stuff's getting pretty big by this point and specifically with my research at this time period we're kind of focusing on sort of what was state formation processes looking like then so we're kind of going 
people are kind of coming together more in what we would call cities and it's sort of getting bigger and more political and sort of have all that hierarchy going on and this seems to be related to food right yeah so that would be with my zoo archaeology stuff so basically as a zoo archaeologist i do archaeology but i'm specifically focusing on the animal bones interesting so it's all about what were people eating and what were people doing and Okay, so you're focusing on the animal bones, but concerned about what people were eating and stuff like that. So do you just, you know, make that link that, you know, I found this animal bone, I assumed it was eaten by humans? Yeah, it is sort of a leap we have to make. Like, you obviously do find things that could be there by chance that's sort of part of the puzzle of it i guess is one of the things that i'm lucky i can look for is sort of um things with like garbage dumps so where you're seeing an amount of animal products and bones that like obviously couldn't get there just by chance Mm -hmm. so that's something i'm lucky enough to be able to look for yeah but yeah in terms of the animals and with archaeology in general we're always trying to bring it back to the people so even though I'm of talking course. a lot and analyzing the animal bones, what in the end I want to be doing is talking about the people. So how did, uh, we're saying about painting us the picture of that time, you were talking about the state formation. Yeah. So what was it like? Did it change? What was, this is, you're talking about like a social hierarchy? Yeah. So part of what I'm looking at is that um, I deal with the Viru culture. Um, so with that with the whole state formation process we're thinking this is actually probably the earliest state in the region which is sort of new information um so that's a big exciting part of this so in terms of bringing it to the animals and the people what i'm going to specifically be trying to do is look at i guess i could give an example is that if i were to go to somebody's house and find a bunch of discarded cans of caviar I can kind of assume you would ass- exactly. that this person's got some money, this person's got some power, and I can sort of make inferences like that. So it's basically seeing how luxury oh. played out in the past and sort of how that translates to social status. So that's what you're saying. It's like you say there's certain piles of garbage, yeah. as it were. It's like going through someone's garbage yeah. and learning more about them. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of archaeologists do this? Sorting through trash? Um, sorting through the garbage? More and more, yeah. I don't think it was something necessarily in the past. Like, there's been a lot of focus in the history of archaeology. Sort of, you want the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas the big buildings, garbage, big structures, yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily the most exciting thing. But I think that is that has really changed. So I think it's something that's more It's and more. very informative, though. You mentioned a really awesome point about, you know, you look through anybody's trash. You kind of can really know yeah. who that person is. Yeah, absolutely. It's really telling. Thank you. So what is the, are you noticing a relationship? Like back then, obviously people didn't have caviar. So what's the equivalent of caviar back then? Yes. Um, With that, I'm sort of in the beginning process of this, but I'm building off another study. So I can kind of talk about what they did. This um, study was done by um, Claire Vinay Rogers in 2013. And what she was finding was that what we call like civic ceremonial centers. So that would be sort of church and okay. sort of the big important political goings on were sort of in these contexts. Um, what she found there was that there were a lot bigger animal bones and that they oh. weren't as smashed up. So one thing that I can kind of tell from that, and she came to the same conclusion, was that they're obviously getting the good stuff. They're mm-hmm. sort of getting the big animals. They're getting the first choice. And with it not being so smashed up, we're kind of able to link that to perhaps that they were roasting their food rather mm. than stewing it. 
So that kind of can tell us who. Oh. Yeah. So it's not just what meat, but like what they can do with it. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So why would roasting um, indicate a higher wealth status than stewing would? Mm -hmm. Um, So what we're kind of thinking with that is that um, with the roasting, these sort of more religious or ceremonial contexts, they would have been having lots of feasts. Okay. So you can think about you know, sort of stereotypical image of a feast. You're getting like whole roasted animals mm-hmm. and whole roasted joints of things. So it's sort of that bigger, more showy package. Yeah. Whereas what we're seeing in the residential contexts is more the everyday people. So that's like you have smaller amounts of things, maybe smaller animals in general. So you kind of make those go further by stewing and sort of breaking them down. Interesting. So what are the kind of uh, ranges of animals that you've seen or what do these past civilizations eat so in peru um we have domesticated animals by this time so we're seeing lots of um yamas which yeah so we have those um those again are kind of associated with the elite stuff just because they're big meaty animals and a yama is not to be confused with a llama it is a llama okay it's just pronounced yama yeah that's um, the spanish pronunciation okay yeah that makes sense CC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, you also have domesticates like guinea pigs, too, that were oh used my gosh. for food. And all okay. sorts of different birds and fish, because we're on the coast. So interesting swath of stuff to pick from. Now I'm just hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. Um, so you say the role of animal consumption in kind of negotiations of power. So would people... You know, how do you know that somebody wasn't trading animals to get power? Or were they? Um, that is something we suspect. So we have this one big site, Wakagai Nazo. We're sort of thinking Ooh. that's like the state capital. Um, what I'm adding to this study is taking a look at what we're thinking is um, more of an administrative redistribution center. So you can sort of think of that as like the place where everything went before being shipped off to other places for people. So in terms of trade, we know there was a lot of swapping with goods. But again, I think it is sort of you can think about it in terms of today, too, like who has access mm-hmm. to these things. And I think that's where the social status stuff comes in. So would you say that in some way your status is based upon your ability to raise and have these animals? I think to a big extent, yeah, because you can think about it. This is like a terrible example, but say there was an elite figure who has a nice herd of yamas or has somebody in control of those yamas for them and they can go i'm not sharing these are mine and they almost sort of become like a commodity like it's almost like money mm-hmm. in that way yeah interesting okay i, I know this kind of is taking a bit away from what we were talking about but no, i'm okay. really curious because you mentioned that you helped out on archaeological digs previous to your research yeah and this is a lot of what you're doing i'm guessing you're going back there again soon yeah um hopefully going to be leaving in june or july okay yeah. nice and uh so how does one how is one be do an archaeological dig for um, it's kind of tricky because I personally, with the zoo archaeology stuff, things are a little bit different. But in terms of doing an excavation, the first step is knowing where to dig, which sounds simple. But in the end, you, like, you have to know where stuff is and, oh, for sure. and it's pretty why fundamental. you want yeah. to dig there. Because I think a lot of it, too, when it 
they're pretty costly things to do. So sort of you have to base it on the research question again. Um, so the site that I worked on previously was um, an early Inca site. And they had chosen that one specifically because they knew it had good preservation and sort of stuff like that. And in terms of opening it up, it's a really systematic process. Um, you, everybody says in archaeology, like any archaeology intro class, context is everything. Like mm-hmm. if that's one thing to know about archaeology, <laughs> I'd say that's the big thing. Interesting, cool. Yeah. I guess uh, you're saying the bones... You know, in a pile, more likely not to have been there by chance, more likely right. to be trash. Yeah, so, like it's all about where the stuff is and in relation to what. So it's, again, and even around here in Ontario, like basically everybody kind of has the little shoebox in the more rural areas of stuff they've picked out of their fields. And that sort of stuff, you can study it. But again, once the context is gone, we can tell a lot less about it. Mm-hmm. So it is important. So do you, you're actually out there digging yourself? Yeah, yeah. Less so for this project that I'm on now, um, because everything that I'm going to be looking at is already out. Oh, so part of a bigger project. But what I'm going to be doing is actually mostly lab based. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's kind of it has the element still like a lot of archaeology of doing the excavations. But I think a lot of people underestimate the amount of lab work that people are doing. So it's sort of an interesting side point of it. Tell us about that, because yeah, we. We just see Indiana Jones, really. Right, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. have you had to stop any Nazis on a ship somewhere? Not yet. Okay. No, I'm kind yeah. of, <laughs> thankfully, no, but. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Probably have to edit that out. <laughs> I think it's good. It's good. It's neutral. <laughs> but yeah, so tell us, yeah, you have your samples, and then what, what do you have to do with them? Mm-hmm. So with my stuff specifically for the zoo archaeology, I just, I'm going to go in, I think, as far as I know, I have around 15 boxes of just everything. So, so bones. from Of bones specifically, but it's kind of, I have to sort of piece back together where it all came from. It's all recorded, but you mm-hmm. have to have an idea. But from there, um, a lot of what I do is... Um, identify the bones so sort wow. of taking all the fragments are you would you classify yourself as like a forensic archaeologist I or personally I, wouldn't because all archaeologists have to do yeah. bone stuff it's just kind of assumed with the title um I think maybe on the surface yes but I know within archaeology for better or worse everybody likes to think they do their own thing (laughs) so I think that that's when you get into oh I'm a forensic archaeologist or oh I'm a this archaeologist so there are a lot of divisions but I I think in the end like people do have their specialties but you know we all kind of have that common base so yeah yeah well if if a lot of your work is it sounds like a lot of your work is identifying these pieces yeah did um, sort of any love of animals bring you to this part? Because there's different ways to look at a site, I'm sure. Absolutely. And yeah. y- was it, you know, did someone say to you, hey, how about looking at the animal bones? Or were you like, I think the answer's in the animal bones. Um, the short answer is both, I guess. Because <laughs> I was, I did my undergrad here at Western. So I came up through the anthropology department here. And I was lucky enough to have a class with my now supervisor, Lisa Hodgetts, on zoo archaeology. And I just sort of fell in love with the anatomy side of things. So having to know and that memorization was something I was lucky to be good at, thankfully. And it's my interest sort of went from there. And in terms of the project I'm doing now, I think that not a lot has been done with the animal bones in comparison to everything else like there's the one previous study that I mentioned Mm -hmm. but I think in the big 
picture, animal remains are sort of, I don't want to say ignored, but they're less showy than all the gold objects and the grave goods and the human remains. Like, that's sort of the sexy stuff that people want to hear about. Yeah. So, yeah. No one wants to hear about the, the trash pile. Right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think, too, with the zoo archaeology stuff, sort of without getting too scary into theory, um, what I'm trying to do is place humans and animals on a more even playing field here. Okay. So what do you mean by humans and anim- animals on an even playing field? What's the game? Um, yeah, good <laughs> question. I think that with that, a lot of it is that the humans, oftentimes, as much as that is what we focus on, we tend to see them as sort of dominating or overriding the animals and in control. Humans? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think what I want to try and do is set it up as more of a mutual relationship yeah. where they're both playing a part in sort of that creation and the maintenance of that social hierarchy. Interesting. So, you know, why do you think your research is important, though? You know, the kind of ultimate and probably really hard to answer question but why do you think this will help the world or is it just a a hobby or like a pastime that you really enjoy um i don't think it's going to be one of these things that like we're never going to solve world hunger looking at dead animal bones but at the same time i think that i like to think of myself as an archaeologist that works very much still in the greater anthropological world yeah so i think with that it's always about people and learning about people in the past is a good way to know ourselves exactly and sort of i think that's where it gets a bit more bigger picture and how to bring it i guess out from the five people that really care about the animal bones that i look at that's awesome yeah Yeah, cool very cool well in in that sort of vein what's it like there now because you must love Peru to keep going back there and uh, for different reasons you what were that you said you were um the first one was a service learning project so we did some work with um, a local school sort of just they had unfortunately had to move where they were there was a lot of social problems going on um so it was basically sort of getting them set up again and I think I I love the people in Peru that sounds really cheesy and I'm Not sure at all but Not at all it's one of these things I think that they have a really interesting culture and social dynamic in the past and today and I think that's something that sort of keeps drawing me back in it's really complex and wonderful Uh, so would you say that it's changed a lot since the past or yeah definitely like I think especially with what I'm dealing with is around 2,000 years so a lot has changed since maybe a little bit yeah yeah but I think a little bit of a time span they still have a really strong indigenous presence Mm -hmm. in that country and I think that not that you would ever want to say that they are unchanged from the past or that they are not capable of change however they see fit. But I think that um, there are still a lot of traditional beliefs and that's sort of a link that we can go back to. Obviously, we have to be careful with that, mm-hmm. but I think there are a lot of connections to the past there. Cool. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had a brain fart moment. No I just thought all of a sudden just started like imagining, you know, I was thinking about uh, your work and moving the school and how there, it sounds like there is a bit of unrest there. Yeah. It's tricky. I think a lot of it sort of relates back to colonialism. Like, I was just wondering, how do they, (laughs) how do do they feel about you coming in and doing your work there? 
Um, it's tricky. I feel like no matter what you do, you are going to be somebody who's not from there. And I think it, to try and be anything other than that is sort of dishonest an yeah. and inappropriate. So I go into it. I just try and be open-minded and polite as I can be and sort of be open to working with all sorts of different people because it's just such a variable country. You yeah. kind of have to roll with the punches. and but you, awesome. you, you seem to have a real love for it and it's been wow since you're in high school yeah. and you're really carrying on with that that's it's really great to see that someone who gets a passion for something and, yeah. and goes with it and mm-hmm. well we really appreciate you talking to us today we learned about zoo archaeology oh my gosh how so animals much. can tell us about ourselves power yeah hierarchies and that kind of thing <laughs> i swear i learned stuff from this talk no like thanks for having me it's great to be able to talk about it outside of the department it's yeah. kind of nice to isn't it refreshing share it around you know and, and anyone can can come and listen to it and just say oh wow i didn't realize someone was doing that that's so cool yeah and i didn't know this was going on at school so mm-hmm. that's that's the whole point awesome well thank you so much for joining us thanks arwin and this has been Arwen Johns talking to us about her work on zoo archaeology and was it Viru in Peru? Yep. I can pardon it. my pronunciation. Viru Valley. Viru no, Valley in Peru. I've been Susan Anthony and with me is Julia Palazzi and this has been Gradcast. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.